Hey everybody, before we get started today, I just wanted to bring you a message from our friends at Indochino. Nobody wants to show up to a formal event looking like they're wearing a suit that was tailored in the early 2000s. And Indochino can help you there. They're the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more to your exact measurements for a great fit. Running around and covering an NBA team, I'm not always looking like I'm in the middle of a fashion show with my daily attire. But when I need to look good for special occasions, Indochino has come through for me. Their process is simple. You submit your measurements, pick out fabrics and customizations, and a package is delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom or do it all online at Indochino.com. Right now, you can get $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE, for $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. It's an incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. And now, on to the show. Blue Wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The New Slant. If you can believe it, we have made it to 10 episodes, and that is quite an accomplishment for these two guys right here. As always, I am your host, Kyle Newbeck. This week, our podcast is being brought to you by Indochino, ShipStation, and Harry's Razors. So thank you to all those wonderful people for keeping our lights on with me today. As always, a guy who may or may not have been thrown out of a a game before for trash talking a visiting player my buddy Seamus Clancy Seamus how are you I've never gotten thrown out of a Sixers game let's just say that okay so what what kind of game have you been thrown out take a wild fucking guess uh, I'm going to say it's probably an Eagles game is that correct you would be correct all right well that's that's more professional games that I've been thrown out of but I say that having been thrown out of high school games. Oh, I got thrown out of a college hockey game once when my friend was goaltending, and they told me they were coming, calling the cops, and I had to like leave. We got thrown out of a high school girls volleyball game for throwing white trash bags at a, a rival high school. So that I was, love that. Uh, oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that was that was a pretty. Uh, Pretty dirty rivalry on all sides. So uh, yeah, that was that's Your one kids, of my only live things it up. I got thrown out. Yeah, so. live it up. But unfortunately, nobody wants to listen to a podcast about our our glory days, Seamus. So we're here to talk about the Sixers, who've you know they've been up and down a little bit. They they certainly have been much better over the over the over the weekend after suffering a, a terrible defeat in Toronto prior to that that Seamus and I were doom and gloom about for a while but <laughs> I, and of course the the Carson Wentz stink bomb oh before that kind of it was a, a big domino effect but today we're sitting here and I think a lot of Sixers fans are smiling just like Matisse Thibel who had what I would say I think his game against the Utah Jazz on Monday night was probably his best game of the year I don't know if you agree with that Seamus but I, I think he is finally starting to show all the components you want from him. Like, yes, we've seen him 
force turnovers and, and do his his cat burglar thing. But yesterday he did that on top of playing just solid, no-nonsense defense, didn't get baited into a lot of silly fouls. He knocked down threes, and it, it, it all seems like it's starting to click for him. I think that's a great sign for where they're at. No doubt it was his best game so far this season. One thing that sticks out to me is that his resilience in a way, which sounds like a weird word for a guy who, you know, was just, what, 20 games into his NBA career. But earlier in the season when they were having some injuries, he was making spot starts. And it was just a few weeks later where he was almost out of the rotation not playing some games. And I think that hurt him and he seemed down and made some uh, backhanded comments to the media about it. Not in a negative way, if not criticizing him, but just one of those things where a kid isn't used to being in the NBA and doesn't really know how rotations work and how no long it might take a rookie to get into an NBA rotation, specifically one that has championship aspirations like the Sixers do. But the last week, or the last weekend, whatever you going to say, the last three-game stretch, he's been fantastic. Uh, I remember early in the season, back in November, we were talking about how poor his, was on offense, and his offensive rating at one point in November was 64. It's 94 now. He's up to 43.2 from deep. Made all three of his threes last night. And he's not going to be a 43% shooter from deep at all, but if he can settle into 36, 37 for the rest of the year, again, that's asking a lot. He wasn't the greatest shooter of all time at Washington. No player that ever went to Washington is a great shooter. And but if Watch he can how be, they switch sides. Watch how they switch sides. But if he can at least be league average or just slightly, slightly below league average enough that he can stick on the court come playoff time because of his defense, that's huge. Yeah, and I think – so. Brett Brown brought this up during his his post game last night where he said one of the problems that they had on the like the coaching staff side and I guess like the the veteran player side with Matisse is that he came in and he was letting it fly as if he was JJ Redick basically like he's he's getting these shots where he's coming around screens and just no conscience putting it up and I will say I like that 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 he has that confidence to put those up because you don't want a kid who's coming in and playing scared. This is a guy who was the best defender in his conference and was an upperclassman, rightfully has a lot of confidence when you you build that over time. And so he's coming into the league, and he doesn't really know what he doesn't know. So I appreciate the attitude you have to have to take those sort of shots. But at the end of the day, this is an NBA team with guys who are a much better, more established, and more talented than Thibault. And he has to understand that there's a time and a place for everything. And I think that's been really important just for him to figure out, look, you don't need to be you don't need to be JJ to get minutes on this team. You have to be a guy who can hit standstill square shoulder shots. And that's where he's been really good lately is understanding his place and knowing, hey, look, sometimes and on the defensive end, too, this is not just on offense. Sometimes you just have to trust the help defense. Sometimes you have to say, hey, I got beat, but I know Al Horford is there on the back end. I know Joel Embiid is there on the back end, and I'm not going to commit a silly foul when they can make up for that, and I can just recover and play good team defense. That's always the hardest first step for a defensive-minded player. So there are three stats of his, all rate stats, that will indicate how well he's played so far this year. And limited time, but his steal rate is 4.5%. That's top in the NBA. Best in the NBA. It's really good. Defensive rating is 97.6. That's third in the NBA. His defensive box plus minus is 3.9, which is 13th in the NBA. And then one more 
and total steals, so not a rate stat, just based on how many steals you get over the course of the game, 14th with 29 steals. And he's not even playing a lot, missed a couple of games just being out of the rotation. Seamus, are you going to do that on like a, you're going to turn into Nate Duncan and convert those stats into stats per dollar spent oh, on no. his contract this year? That's anti-labor bullshit I don't subscribe <laughs> to. No, but to your point, he has been one of the most impactful defenders off the bench, if not the most impactful defender off the bench in the league. And I think the problem for him has been, number one, not getting into foul trouble, which he's improving on i still don't think he's certainly not out of the woods in that respect there are going to be ups and downs and then the offensive stuff where he has to play under control and that that is really the the trick for him i know the the shots are going to come and go they do for everybody including guys that are much better baseline shooters than him but as long as he's playing within himself and within the structure of the offense and not trying to do too much He's, he has such a, an advantage over somebody like Furkan Korkmaz on defense that at the end of the day, Brett Brown wants to give Matisse Thibel minutes. It's just a matter of building that trust with the head coach. I do recall there was a podcast back in October. I can't remember who said it, but there was a guy who said that Matisse Thibel would make an all-defensive team this year. He, he might have been on to something. <laughs> Are you uh that was that is quite a reach to pat yourself on the back there buddy. You just reached all the way back to October. That's not I, that I, that's not that long ago or is that the point that it's is that the point? It's not that long ago if you're Mr. Fantastic, I guess with the the reach, but no, I mean, look. The the potential is there. But potential is in a lot of players, especially guys who are are young. We project things onto them because we're uncertain what they're going to offer at the NBA level. I think at the very least, having a stretch like this on offense is good for him. I think one thing that Brett said that was important before the game he had against Utah was that he has to, as in he is in Brett Brown, needs to have more of an understanding and more of a tolerance to let Thibel play through the tough stretches. And that's I know a lot of people get on Brett for his development of young guys, whether it's good, whether it's bad, because they they think he just doesn't want to give anybody a chance. But the fact that that's a conscious thing that he knows, hey, mid-April is going to get here, and either Matisse is going to be ready or he's not. And so the fact that he last night threw him into the rotation and not just threw him in the rotation, allowed him to sin, and not just threw him in the rotation, allowed him to start the second half to kind of – they're putting in the time and the hours now to get this kid where he needs to go. And that's, it's going to be a potential turning point for this team late in the year is like, if they get good Matisse Thibel on the playoffs, that's a game changer for them. Look at some of the wings they have now between Ennis, who's played really well this year. He's been awesome. He's yeah. doing push-ups in the middle of the game last He's a night. dog. He had that in him. He's a complete dog. We have him, Thibel, Mike Scott, to a lesser extent, and Tobias. As four guys, imagine having them in that playoff series in 2018 against Boston where they were so devoid of anyone on the wing who could be switchy, who could make an open shot, who could defend at least passably. Now they have a ton of guys that can do that. They don't have any guys who can, they don't have any guys who can dribble, but they have a ton of guys yeah. who can defend and yeah. make a shot. Unfortunately, it's still the problem they had with Robert Covington, albeit not to the, the same extreme degree where – they don't have a lot of guys who can put it on the floor. But I guess the, the difference now is compared to 2018, 
their high their top end talent is better like they just have guys who who should be able to to fill in the gaps for the rest of those guys now whether they can in a a playoff setting is a, another story i guess while we're on the the utah game right now because there were there were some other games over the weekend that were, were glossing over a little bit but just Seamus, i need to hear your thoughts on oh. the whole uh the donovan mitchell situation with the fan getting thrown out last night and with the pretext for anybody that did not hear this or is not aware there was a fan thrown out of monday night's game against utah that we didn't know what happened but there were some words exchanged with donovan mitchell and nobody really like i did not want to comment until i heard what was said because if there was some kind of uh, racism or homophobia or something along those lines obviously it's that's not funny but from all all accounts from people i talked to it was just somebody being like loud and belligerent at a, a sporting event and so now i want to know what seamus thinks about a guy getting thrown out at the behest of of one mr donovan mitchell so if he was saying something racist or homophobic or sexist or xenophobic i wouldn't stand for that but otherwise, I am in complete favor of anyone who is paying for a seat, paying to go to a game, saying whatever they want. Screaming at players, telling them they suck, they stink. Some of them are not dropping crazy F-bombs or anything like that because there's kids around. I get that. It's all part of the game. If you can't take that, if, you can't, if Donovan Mitchell can't take someone telling him he's not shit, then he's not shit. And people would be like, oh, well, Seamus, well, would you like it if someone said that to you? And I'm like, no, but I'm not a professional athlete. That's why I'm sitting in my spare bedroom recording a podcast with Kyle Newbeck and not on the floor for the Sixers. He's a cop. <laughs> Officer Mitchell. I, the, the meme of him with his face photoshopped onto a police officer is just... It's very funny to me at any time, let alone at a time where it's actually apt. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, the only place I would draw the line is if there, if it's more about somebody else in the area, like there were kids there where it's a, a parent, a parent just doesn't want to deal with it. I personally, like I drop F-bombs regularly and I grew up in a family where that was kind of commonplace. Yeah. So same. language doesn't really bother me, but I understand that that's a... Yeah, I could see F-bombs with kids and all, but otherwise I'll say them. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, so that's a difference between my family and a lot of other families out there. So I can understand it if that was a thing, but the, other than that, it's like, dude, grow up, Peter Pan. It's... You're, you're a professional athlete who... He's such is, a loser, dude. He's It's weak. supposed to be shielding that stuff out. And, like, most of the time you ask these guys about, oh, what'd you think of the crowd? Or what'd you think of this? What'd you think of that in terms of noise? And most of these guys are like, yeah, you know, I don't really hear anything when I'm on the court. They're too focused on the game. And I guarantee you, if Donovan Mitchell had played well on Monday... He sucked. He would have been turning to that guy and, and yapping at him and, and gesturing at him, whatever. But because he sucked... Like, he almost always sucks against Philly. He had nothing to say, and so he had to uh, get him out of there. Like, he was Randall from recess. <laughs> that was good. But just, um, like, you're like a loser. He won. He, some, <laughs> he somehow beat out Matt Collins for the Matt Collins Loser of the Week award. No, nobody beats out Matt Collins. And he got cut I'm today, sorry. and he still lost the Matt Collins no award. No way. Matt Collins is the biggest loser. I, I don't just, know, man. It was a close one this week, and he got cut today. And we're still saying it. I, listen, let me tell you, as somebody who 
watches every Eagles game, just like Sheamus. I'm I'm very glad I do not have to watch Mac Hollins take another penalty without the reward of ever making a catch. It's just just one of the most worthless Eagles players I can remember in my lifetime. He hasn't caught had a he didn't have a catch in his last two hundred and four snaps. <laughs> on offense he not counting his snaps on special teams which is what he prefers to play Seamus just to to close out the the Donovan Mitchell chapter here um did you have any trash talking moments as a fan whether that's with a rival fan that was seated near you a player on the court or field wherever that you felt like man I felt very clever or or happy with how that went well you can remember this is one where the the yoke ends up on my face is, you know, I like to think I'm not that bad with all that stuff, but if it's an Eagles-Cowboys game, there are no rules, there are no laws, I don't care. And there's this kid in front of me, it's the Eagles game last year, they put on Sunday Night Football, they were all black and they lost to the Cowboys, it sucked, it was terrible. Anyway, there are a couple of Dallas fans in front of me, whoever has the seats in front of me and my season tickets at the Eagles, they've sold every game on StubHub, because it's new people every week and it's usually opposing fans who buy them, which is like yeah. infuriating. Because <laughs> they're always starting shit, and we get blamed. So what for you're it. saying is that the Eagles fan who owns those seasons, he's not a real is fan. A total fraud. Yeah, that's a whole different discussion. Anyway, it's a Cowboys <laughs> fan, and like I'm just assuming he's from like the suburb. So I was like, why don't you go back to fucking Delco, like you fat fucking loser? And he pulled out his license, and it was a it was a Texas license. <laughs> and I was like, all right, man, fuck off. I got you. Got me. You got uh, that, me. That's a tough one. Yeah, yeah. The only the only time I really got into it with somebody at a game was. When the Sixers played the Celtics in 2012, pre-media career for me, obviously. Uh, game four, when they, I think they were down like 15 points in the second half. They come back to win. Andre Iguodala had like the best second half scoring run of his life. And there was this kid who was sitting near me at the game wearing a, a I want to say it was a black Boston Celtics Rondo <laughs> jersey. <laughs> And he had a Von Dutch hat on. Oh, my God. I don't remember if, if anybody remembers those. The people who wore those were just like humongous douchebags. So this kid was talking all kinds of trash throughout the first half, even in the second half. Oh, they're never coming back, blah, blah, blah. And so I just started calling this dude Von Douche as, as loud as humanly possible, just berating this kid, screaming at him. And he's like, oh, he thinks he's like Mr. Tough Guy. And then finally the Sixers complete the comeback and he took the hat off at one point. He was so ashamed of it and he left without saying anything else once they lost. So I, that felt like that was like my crowning achievement in terms of just trash talking somebody at a, into submission. Although I got a lot of assistance from if the Sixers hadn't made the comeback, none of that ever happened. So I was thank you to Andre Iguodala and, and Lou Williams for creating at least one positive memory from those years. You should have told him that he couldn't leave without taking off his jersey. Like in the Warriors, when they asked him to take off their colors <laughs> to walk through the city, you should have done that. Take off your Rondo crap black jersey, and now you can leave the section and go home. Yeah, first of all, why? how are you going to – the Celtics have, as much as I hate Boston sports as a general rule, the Celtics generally have really good classic jerseys. The green, green Celtics jersey, one of the best basketball yeah. jerseys. Why would you ever buy a black Celtics jersey? That's just – I don't know. It just feels wrong. Because St. Patrick's Day is your favorite holiday. Um, okay. Actually, let's take a quick <laughs> break, and then we will get back to – we'll finish the podcast with much more basketball discussion, I promise you. 
So I'm here to tell you about our sponsor, Harry's Razors. You looking for a great gift for someone in your life this holiday season? Everybody's tired of cliche gifts like socks, wallets, and ties. Sorry, Seamus, you're getting socks from me this Christmas. I need new socks. It will be, it will be cliche. Hopefully you appreciate it. But a Harry's Razor is a gift that's both thoughtful and practical. Listeners of the new slant can get $5 off any Harry's shave set by heading to harrys.com slash blue wire. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so we need you to act now. Harry's razors are a great gift for the man in your life. Holiday sets start at just $20, so that means you can fit that right under your secret Santa limit, and blade refills are as low as $2 each, so your guy will save money over time. Plus, 1% of each sale is donated to charitable organizations. And who doesn't like spreading some cheer to folks who need it around the holidays? As a special offer for fans of the new slant, we've partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off any shave set, including their limited edition holiday sets, when you go to harrys.com slash blue wire. Plus, you'll get free shipping. Each Harry's shaving set comes with a weighted handle with an option to engrave, a five-blade razor cartridge, foaming shave gel for a rich lather, travel cover to protect your blades, and it's all packaged in a handsome holiday gift box. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so act now. Just go to harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire. I'm here to talk to you guys about ShipStation. With, with holiday rushes here, you have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, and affordably. But how do you keep track of all those orders? Decide which ship carrier is best, or know if you're getting the best rates. Luckily, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door, and delivered in time for the holidays. Look at me. Today, there were a bunch very highly anticipated a bunch of Baby Yoda Funko Pops got released. Oh man. And I bought a few of them, some to keep, some to sell. Know what I'm doing when I get them and I'm gonna sell them on eBay? I'm gonna use ShipStation. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS. So you can pair and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of the holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use my offer code, BLUE, that's B-L-U-E, to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in BLUE. That's B-L-U-E. That's ShipStation. Enter offer code B-L-U-E BLUE. ShipStation. Make ship happen. There we go. Really put some emphasis on that make ship happen. I put some it. put some ship on my name. You know who else <laughs> you know who else has been putting an emphasis on something that is part of their job, Seamus? That'd be Benjamin Simmons? It would be Ben Simmons. His defensive approach lately, and I know that we've talked about this in, in previous podcasts, but his defensive approach has just been excellent. And I think I was on him a little bit early in the season because he said I want to be all defense I want to be the best defensive player on the team and there were some times where he's floating through games and maybe not playing with the same edge 
but he has legitimately played like an all defense caliber player these last couple weeks. And and so I ask you this, Seamus, are we focusing collectively, not you and I, but just collectively as a, as a society, as a culture, in on, this society <laughs> on on Ben Simmons's jump shot do do we focus too much on that relative to everything else he's doing this year yeah I mean I'm one who can be critical at times of Ben's offense but I think we need to start realizing how incredible he is on defense and start evaluating is that is you have potentially the best perimeter defender maybe even close to being the best defender overall in the NBA who's also a wizard passing on offense can get to the rim a little bit, rebound pretty well. That's a pretty I, I, awesome player. I think the thing that has really stood out for me is that we always think of guys who are, oh, he's a clutch scorer, he's a go-to scorer, he's a crunch time player. And obviously Ben's reputation on offense is the exact opposite of that. But he's been this really rare guy who I feel like he's raised his game on defense in those moments where he's come up with a bunch of late game steals and they're they're winning those games specifically because ben is coming up with those plays and i i can't remember many guys in my lifetime that that's like oh man they've really just turned it up i mean you think of even like Kawhi leonard you, you just think of the consistent excellence rather than this guy's routinely producing turnovers in a crunch time situation and now maybe it's just a a small sample size thing and and over time we're going to see less of the dramatic game-winning steals that he's had had one against indiana how awesome was the end of that game oh that i mean he was electric in that arena they probably should have beat that team up after like on a a road back-to-back and they had played overtime the night before they were on a back-to-back too to be fair they were, but they played. It's different. The, it's different. It's different. Yeah. It's yeah. Different. But so, but to your point, arena was great, and Ben coming alive on defense in that last minute is something. It's something that I feel like is really unique, and I I think we talk about him being unique in a bad way a lot of the time. So I think it's it's certainly appropriate for us to sit here and say he's also unique in a lot of awesome and entertaining ways. He's just been incredible. And I also said before the year, this isn't like the joke you guys said before, I thought he was going to make the first team, first all-defensive team, and it seems like a reality right now. Would you have, do you think he'd bank it right now, like him and Giannis at the two forwards? But I guess, does he get listed as a guard, a forward? I don't know what to do with him. Yeah, with I'd, have to, I'd have to think about it more because I'll be honest, at this point in the year, I still haven't even watched enough of the teams on a regular basis to oh, sit here and happened. be like, Just yeah, going like, by off the top of my head who I assume is doing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and then, so I think one thing that really works in his favor, and it's kind of negative from a Sixers perspective, is that he's playing a ton of minutes and playing basically every game where, I mean, someone like Kawhi Leonard, we think of him as one of the best defenders in the league, but he's being load managed. And, and so for once, it might be a Sixers player benefits from, hey, I'm the guy who's playing every game instead of what, what Joel Embiid has been subjected to where – He's been amazing in years past, but because he's lagging in the games played department, other guys end up getting the the first team bumps over him. I'm not comparing him to LeBron as in terms of their on the court play, but just as guys who are kind of physical freaks and can play as many minutes as they want without really worrying about it. Do you think he's potentially just that type of athlete and just as entire and it's just at a different level than everyone else? 
I, I mean, that'll, that'll need, I mean, in like five, six years, that'll need to change. But as someone who's, what is he, 23 right now? Yeah. I think it's possible, but I do think there needs to be an understanding with him that they can't run him into the ground. I know that everybody pays attention to how they manage Joel because, and, and rightfully so, right? Like they have it's much different, different, yeah. They have much different health histories. There's a reason that you have to say, look, he shouldn't play in this game or you got to scale back his minutes. But I don't think we should just sit here and act like Ben playing close to 40 minutes in a bunch of games is just a thing that he can sustain forever. And look, all the things we say about him, what a great athlete he is for his size, you do have to keep in mind he's dragging around a, a lot on that frame he's a, a big dude and he runs really fast that's a lot there he's putting a ton of impact on his joints so i i think he is certainly physically like a really impressive player and that there are nights where he just has to play 22 out of 24 second half minutes and he does it and never really seems like he's tired now the other devil's advocate thing there is it's easy to not be tired when the last five minutes of the game you're just not doing anything standing in the standing in the dunker spot but i don't want that to take away from the the load he has had to carry as a defensive player and i think on the whole it should be seen as like what he's doing is very impressive I think it'll be hard for him to sit games just because they don't really have anyone who can replicate his skill set in the slightest. Whereas, you know, Embiid is obviously their best big man and the best big man in the NBA, but they can survive having Horford out there or even Kylo Quinn. Whereas if Ben's out, they're kind of screwed offensively. As much as we kind of criticize what he does on offense, just as we don't really have anyone who, the Sixers, I should say, don't really have anyone who can bring the ball up like that. And they're obviously going to miss him on the defensive end. I think the best point is, you know, you have to just route some teams sometimes, beat up on bad teams and give them some time to sit on the bench in the fourth quarter that's the best way they're gonna be able to rest him i don't think they can afford to have him not really play games unless it's you know a second half of the back-to-back and joe and al are out for out and you're just gonna punt on the game or something like that yeah and that's why the games like the knicks game bother me just sitting there where it's like dude you don't have to be in a dog fight with the knicks if, if they come just out bury them if they come out and they play as as they're capable of playing. I know they were down two starters that night. I don't look, I don't really care. They have Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and Tobias Harris. So plus a healthy bench. They should be able to come out and, and punch that kind of team in the mouth and get those guys rest in the second half. And that that to me is the one way that they really haven't shown enough killer instinct this year. I know we like it's great that they've been able to win so many of these close games and that they are learning over time how to close out teams and and even climb out of holes they've like they've been better this year when they get from when they're playing from behind which is not necessarily a strength of theirs from years past partially because they were the team blowing all the leads but at the same time the killer instinct to come out of the gate and say we're better than this team we're going to impose our will and the game will be over by the middle of the third quarter end of the third quarter that's something they really have to work on. If not to, I don't care about the point differential and all that other stuff that people use to try to judge a contender by the numbers. Zach it's, Cram. Yeah, like I, that stuff doesn't mean anything to me. I get why people track it, all the historical relevancy, blah, 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 blah. It's more about for me that these guys shouldn't have to play 35 plus minutes every night to beat 
the Knicks or or even the Pacers on a back to back. Like they are more talented than these teams, and they should be out there proving it. Just run those teams off the court. They should shouldn't be a game. Like, like I was at a concert Friday night. And I'm just following the game on my phone. I'm like, why is this still a game? I caught like the first half at a bar beforehand. I'm just like, why? Why do I need to be checking my phone right now? Why isn't it over already? Or even the Utah game on Monday. They night. were up, you, they were what are they up? 18, 19 at the end of the third. Right. If you just all you need to do in a game like that is, if you go all out until you're until the end of the third quarter, the game's over and. It's all it's a bench mob to play the fourth quarter, and none of that other stuff matters. And you don't have to have guys out there until the final minute of the game. And it's that simple. They they haven't shown the willingness to really step on teams' throats. That's one. I don't know how much you've watched the Raptors this year, Sheamus, and they certainly have. Like they blew a, kind of a part of a big lead against Utah on Sunday night. But that's a team that just understands when and how to end the game and they don't have to play they've Pascal literally been there Siakam before yeah a billion minutes or even the bucks like the bucks there'll be nights where Giannis plays like 22 minutes because they just absolutely kick the crap out of a team like the knicks and that's the difference right now between the sixers and some of the other teams that they're going to be competing against in the playoffs yeah i hate all that like learn how to win bs but that's a situation where those guys have won a championship before they know what they know what it takes they know they should beat the crap out of bad teams talking about toronto not milwaukee milwaukee will never win another nba championship <laughs> milwaukee is a story for another day well speaking of getting to a, a championship caliber for this team the guy who's real ultimately going to decide that is joel Embiid, and something i've been i've been monitoring lately it's happened a couple times and i'm curious what your thoughts on this seamus Joel has played in two different three games and four night scenarios where he plays in a back to back and then plays in another game that was in both cases it was a Friday Saturday Monday sequence of games both of the Monday games the third game in the the trio he plays terribly and now granted both of them were against really good defensive centers he plays Marcus Gasol last week Rudy Gobert this week but to me I think that they've reached a point where Joel is back to having too much say and too much power in when he's going to play. I know, look, you want him to be wired this way where Joel stands up and says, I want to play every game. I'm going to play through pain. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I don't think it's in the best interest for him. I don't think it's in the best interest for the team. I think he's visibly worse in those third games. He's not moving around as well. And in last night's game, with a, by the way, we're recording this on Tuesday night. I don't know if we ever said that at any point. And Monday's game against Utah, he picks up his fifth foul. And when he comes back in, there were a bunch of plays where Rudy Gobert basically just had a free runway to the rim because Joel was not really interested in picking up his sixth foul. He just didn't want to go anywhere near him if it meant that he was putting himself in jeopardy. And that's one of those cases where – I'd be happy if they just sat him and said, look, Joel, this is not a reflection of who you are as a player, of what we think of you, but it's not good for the team right now. And on a night where Al Horford was playing one of his best games that I think he's played all year, he's got to understand when to put the team before his desire to go out there and play. And so that's my 
that's my reporter take. I don't know what the, the fan take on that is. If you just think they should just run him out there whenever and however he wants. I think it's on the coach to a degree to kind of sit up. I know that Brett's a player's coach and they like the fact that players like him, they should respect him. But again, you're not going to, I'm not asking him to be Stan Van Gundy, Tom Thibodeau, but I think at a certain point he needs to put his foot down and realize what's best for the organization and what ultimately is best for Joe. Why can't Joe just realize, look what Kawhi Leonard did to you last year. Look what he did during the regular season. And then look what he did to the Sixers in the playoffs. Look where he ended up in June. Just needs to realize that. I get he's wired that way. I love that he's wired that way. It's great. I love how enthusiastic he is. Diving for loose balls. It's great, but it's stupid. Do you know what I mean? He's like a like brave fool or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. I actually I was having a conversation with somebody before the game on Monday night, and essentially what this person said was, "Well, why doesn't?" Why doesn't Brett just sit him down or doesn't do this? And like we had talked about this, Seamus, but the whole benching Joel during the Toronto game when he just didn't have it. I don't think you can do that. Right. So you and we mostly agree there. And so the this person's point was, well, Pop was able to do it with somebody like Tim Duncan. And my retort there is if Joel Embiid was wired like Tim Duncan, this team would win the title this year. Like the, I don't think people understand how special of a person Tim Duncan was on top of being an unbelievable player. And look, like it's not an insult to Joel Embiid to say that that's not who he is. He's not the guy who's just the the ultimate selfless team first guy. Like he has an ego and he's earned that ego to a certain degree. This like think about this guy's story. He basically picked up basketball as a teenager and became the best prospect in his class and one of the best players in the world with minimal training and minimal experience compared to every other guy that he goes up against. I mean, he comes into the league and he just starts kicking everybody's ass. So I understand why he has an ego, why he thinks, I don't care what this doctor says. I don't care what this coach or this person in the front office or whoever says, I want to play and I'm going to play. And if you tell me that I can't or that I won't, it's going to upset me. I get that. But there ha- like that is one of the most important steps that he has to take is understanding, yes, you can still be an ultra competitive guy who wants to win while listening to people and understanding people are looking out for you and they're looking out for the long-term interests of the team, which – he seemed on board with when he did exit interviews last year, but now that there's been like a bit of a blip with the suspension and some talk about load management and all that, he just seems like he's back to, I'm going to play every game and throw caution to the wind. And I don't think that's a good thing. Quick aside. Don't you think it's weird? Tim Duncan is an assistant coach with the Spurs. I just kind of saw him going the Olajuwon route where he just like has random big men come stay with him for like a month and he just teaches them all the secrets of basketball. So they were obviously in Philly recently and the vibe I got is not that this is like a... He's just like I, there to help out. Kind yeah, of more I, so. don't, okay. I don't think Tim Duncan is angling to be a head coach. No, really. I don't think he would either. It just seemed, I don't know. It just seems like he's a guy that comes in for a little bit then leaves and does his own thing rather than someone who's continuously there. 
I think it's a situation where he loves pop and he knew pop needed help. And so when pop asked, he, he's like, no problem pop and, and showed up and look, he still, he loves basketball. And so I think he's, he's probably excited to be there and help some of these guys. And it was, it was amazing watching him help LaMarcus Aldridge warm up before the game. Just seeing this guy, it was like, think about this. He's one of like, bare minimum he's one of the 10 greatest players of all time five you could go as high as the top five for me um and he like this guy who's an all-time great who won everything there is to win individually and as a team guy is just sitting here throwing bounce passes and chest passes to lamarcus aldridge to shoot mid-range twos before a game in in philadelphia on a friday night like that's just he's a, a very unique guy among guys who have reached the heights he did as a player and and i really appreciate him sixers need a uh, pop to retire so we can start doing that here with brett and joe <laughs> we shall see i mean before day. like when they would t- they would play the spurs back when joe wasn't even suiting up his first two years brett would have tim talk to him and kind of got him along with it but i guess a lot of that's a lot different having a 10 15 minute conversation than being here working with the team but i don't think it's necessarily far-fetched for him to do that yeah look at the way steve kerr and steve nash still had a relationship when kerr was with the warriors something like that yeah and and by the way i don't i don't mean any of this is to come off like i'm i'm not criticizing who joel is and like what he brings i think it's just a matter of there have to be some lines drawn organizationally to protect him from himself like he's still a young dude who thinks he's invincible he thinks he's superman and that he can go out there and do all these things he clearly can't and that's okay that's not that's not a criticism to acknowledge that you can be helped sometimes by just taking a step back and letting other people pick you up that's it takes a lot of growth as humans as adults to get to that point in your life and i think the sooner that Joel is in that headspace, the better off the Sixers are going to be. Yeah, it's tough. I, I just I don't know if I think it'll ever happen, to be honest, but we'll let's see. see. No. We'll see. One last thing before we go. We an, just... a, a new contestant in the Matt Collins Loser of the Week Award. It's Another, a stacked week. Yeah, really. Just a lot of losers out there this week. So... For anybody who did not see this for whatever reason, I find it hard to imagine you are listening to this podcast and didn't see what Pacers assistant coach Dan Burke said. But following the Sixers game with the Pacers on Saturday, Dan Burke went on television and talked to a reporter and talked to a reporter in Indiana. In, I don't know if it was in the middle of a game or if it was at a shoot around that they just played during. Uh, Grizzlies Pacers on Monday night but he says quote I hate that team speaking of the Sixers I really wanted to win that game I think Embiid gets away with a bunch of crap the league ignores and it would have been a good one to just walk away from end quote and let me just say man like talk about sounding like the saltiest crybaby that I've ever heard like non-Utah division do you know why he doesn't like the Sixers and why he doesn't like Joel Embiid because neither one of their big men can guard him and that's it's pretty much that simple to me I I have a lot of respect for Burke is actually the guy who's 
effectively considered their defensive guru there that they've had a really good defense with different coaches and and across different rosters like tj warren is there this year who's always been a terrible defender and even he's been contributing to a good defense but dude i don't want to hear it i i think to me the the comparison like the stuff with Embiid and the refs there's a ton of calls he doesn't get when you're that big and this Shaq fell victim to this a ton when you're that big you're getting fouled on basically every position. yeah it's the complete opposite of what he said it's yeah. the opposite it's the exact opposite and it's a matter of how often are the refs actually going to call this because he's getting run into he's getting smacked he's getting pushed he's getting shoved he's getting pulled and it's just like officials are not going to call that every time down and that's part of the reason why post play has gone out of style in the nba the teams know you're not going to call every foul down there and they get away with it teams know they can force more turnovers because they can get away with more of the tugging and the stuff on the backside that you can't get away with on perimeter guys it's a perimeter driven league and this guy's out here crying about how the league handles Joel and b like come on man i i get that he does some of the rip through stuff and that's annoying and and like he plays games, very physically game. but he plays how a guy who's built like he is is supposed to play dan burke clearly wrote his own wikipedia page go check it out oh my god when you posted that earlier i was it's so bad isn't it it's like the most descriptive page it, i've ever it's seen talking before. about how many seasons he's been in a defensive coordinator or whatever that his team has spent <laughs> in a top 10 in opponents field goal percentage out of the 17 years he's been a pacers assistant talks about his twin brother unsourced so he must be the source yeah or the bare, twin brother bare minimum i i think it's that a family member by a family member, member. I, I bet his i bet I his can... wife wrote it or his brother but like it could be him it's like the colangelo thing it could be any of them you know it's funny too because i always thought the pacers were like of all the teams that the Sixers go up against that are like legitimate competition in the East, that always seemed like it was a, they play hard, but it was never, oh, there's no juice to this game or like no extra stuff. It's two teams that are like solid, similarly minded teams and they walk away and everything's pretty respectful. And then this guy comes out and, oh, I hate that team. Like just this crotchety old man. Yeah. I would lo- they, they come back to Philly again this year? I would assume so, right? um i'd have to double check on that i know the next game is that new year's eve, eve yeah in, in indiana that's different um rich hoffman actually at practice on tuesday made a, he, he made a great call where he said something along the lines of guy probably got mentioned in like one zach Lowe article and now he thinks he can just talk spicy about like all kinds of other teams he's creating bulletin board material it's like dude you're an assistant coach your your job is to help out you just made Sabonis' life miserable the next time they play your job is to help out your team and shut the hell up when a microphone's in front of you like imagine if uh Ime Udoka went out before the Sixers were gonna play the Clippers and was like you know that Kawhi Leonard guy I don't really believe that he's hurt I think the load match and stuff's a bunch of bs like what's the advantage for you there all you're gonna do is piss somebody off so stupid stupid so on on that note he's from linwood california so no he's not from here soft ass california people that's what i say coastal elite (laughs) on that note that's probably a good place to uh to wrap it up for the day we will uh we'll definitely talk to you guys soon as always if you haven't please hit the subscribe button give us some five-star reviews say some nice things 
save any criticism for somebody else and we'll talk to you next week peace